Howdy, howdy. We are here on a Thursday, two days after the Republican debate. Controversy continues to brew around who exactly will take the nomination. Will it be Donald Trump? Will it be Jeb Bush? Uh, also, we will be talking a little bit about uh, things I hate later in the segment, of course. And Michael Moore makes a gigantic ass of himself, which is the, the only there, there's nothing surprising in any part of that sentence in fact michael moore gigantic and ass is triple redundancy so we'll get to all of that i'm ben shapiro this is the ben shapiro show tend to there's demonize people who don't care about your feelings all righty so let's jump right in with michael moore michael moore is uh, he's a troll he's been a professional troll for a very long time if you remember Michael Moore, the, the fat guy who does bad documentaries going all the way back to Roger and me, he's not untalented is the truth. If you, if you watch his documentaries, he knows how to put together a film. He knows how to put together a documentary. He spent a lot of time very early in his career suggesting socialism was the best. Now he's moved on to full-blown communism. Um, but his new movie is all about how America keeps invading all these places in the world and it's so terrible. American invasion creates just all this blowback. Well, Michael Moore isn't getting very much attention for his new documentary. And so the way he's decided to fight that is by going after Donald Trump. Because Trump is the, is the owner and occupier of all mainstream media. So today, Michael Moore, who is, he's beginning to, he, he looks either like, I mean, it, there's no way to do a Michael Moore story without making fun of his looks. There's just no way to do it. So we're just going to do it. He either looks like Toodles from Hook, um, or <laughs> for those who have seen that film, or... He looks like a 75-year-old grandmother. Right? I mean, those are, those are the two things. And he's beginning to look more like this as time goes on. He looks like a homeless grandmother on the street. So there he is outside of Trump Tower uh, holding a sign that says, We are all Muslim, right? Because he's demonstrating to the world that he stands with Muslims and not with Donald Trump. And he wrote an open letter to Donald Trump that reads as follows, Quote, Dear Donald Trump, you may remember, you do after all have a perfect memory, that we met back in November of 1998 in the green room of talk show where we were both scheduled to appear one afternoon. But just before going on, I was pulled aside by a producer from the show who said that you were nervous about being on the set with me. She said you didn't want to be ripped apart and you wanted to be reassured I wouldn't go after you. Does he think I'm going to tackle him and put him in a chokehold, I asked, bewildered. No, the producer replied. He just seems all jittery about you. Huh, I've never met the guy. There's no reason for him to be scared, I said. I really don't know much about him other than he seems to like his name on stuff. I'll talk to him if you want me to. And so, as you may remember, I did. This is all Michael Moore's letter to Donald Trump. I went up and introduced myself to you. Quote, the producer says you're worried I might say and do something to you during the show. Hey, no offense, but I barely know who you are. I'm from Michigan. Please don't worry. We're going to get along just fine. You seemed relieved, then leaned in and said to me, I just didn't want any trouble out there, and I just wanted to make sure that you know you and I got along, that you weren't going to pick on me for something ridiculous. Pick on you? I thought, where are we? In third grade, I was struck by how you, a self-described tough guy from Queens, seemed like such a fraidy cat. First of all, I don't believe Michael Moore's photographic memory for conversations that happened 17 years ago, uh, because I don't think anybody has that sort of photographic memory. But we'll take it for what it's worth. He says, you and I went on to do the show. Nothing untoward happened between us. I didn't pull on your hair, didn't put gum on your seat. What a wuss was all I remember thinking as I left the set. And now... Here we are in 2015, and, like many other angry white guys, you are frightened by a bogeyman who is out to get you. That bogeyman, in your mind, are all Muslims. That bogeyman are all Muslims. Not just the ones who have killed, but all Muslims. Fortunately, Donald, you and your supporters no longer look like what America actually is today. And this is the leftist triumphalism. We are not a country of angry white guys. Here is a statistic that is going to make your hair spin. 
81% of the electorate who will pick the president next year are either female, people of color, or young people between the ages of 18 and 35. In other words, not you, and not the people who want you leading their country. Now to take a pause for just one second. 81% of the electorate are female, people of color, or young people. Okay, first of all, females already are 55% of the electorate. Okay, so I'm not sure that this is coming as a shock to anyone. It turns out there are just as many women as men in the population, and women vote at a higher rate than men do. And as far as young people being a percentage of the population, this has also been historically true. So, you know, this idea that, that Trump doesn't know this is, of course, silly. But Michael Moore continues, So in desperation and insanity, you call for a ban on all Muslims entering this country. I was raised to believe that we are all each other's brother and sister, regardless of race, creed, or color. That means if you want to ban Muslims, you're first going to have to ban me and everyone else. We are all Muslim. And he continues, just as we are all Mexican, we are all Catholic and Jewish and white and black and every shade in between. We are all children of God or nature or whatever you believe in, part of the human family, and nothing you say or do can change that fact one iota. If you don't like living by these American rules, you need go to go to the timeout room in one of your towers and sit there and think about what you've done. And then he asks everybody to take pictures like this one. Presumably all of them are more photogenic than Michael Moore. I want to focus in for just a second on these couple of paragraphs, because this really is leftism in a nutshell, and it is so ignorant, and it is so stupid. I mean, just truly stupid, truly idiotic. I mean, like, you, you have to have a low IQ to believe these things, or you have to have been inculcated in a school of thought that suggests that values are of no consequence whatsoever. He says, this part, that, and that's just really amazing, he says, I was raised to believe we are all each other's brother and sister, regardless of race, creed, or color. Okay, Race and color, I agree. Creed, hmm, sort of depends on what you think, right? Are you really brothers with the neo-Nazi next door, Michael Moore? Are you really brothers with the, with the, I mean, he probably is brothers with the communists, but are you really brothers with Stalin? Are you brothers with the world's worst human beings? Are you brothers with the ISIS murderers who are raping and looting people? Yeah, is, is the, are these the people who are your brothers and sisters? Because this is what the left believes. They believe in this brotherhood of man. This is back to John Lennon's Imagine. Right, the brotherhood of man, where religion makes no difference, and ideology makes no difference, and philosophy makes no difference. It's an amazing statement. He says, if you want to ban Muslims, you're first going to have to ban me and everyone else. First of all, Trump hasn't talked about banning Muslims. He's not deporting Muslims who are in the United States. He's talked about a temporary ban on Muslim immigration to the United States until we can get better background checks. Now, I disagree with the policy, as I've said. But to suggest that this is, first of all, it's not racism, certainly, because Islam isn't a race. It's not colorism because Islam isn't a color. It's creedism. And turns out that America always has had certain philosophical leanings, just like any country has philosophical leanings. In fact, America is unique in the respect that it was founded on a basic philosophy. It was founded on a basic ideology embodied in the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of the United States. And as soon as you say that a country is founded on a philosophy, it means it wasn't founded on other philosophies. You can't be both A and B. You're either A or you're B. But for Michael Moore, we're all supposed to pretend that everybody is both A and B. When he says, we are all Mexican, we are all Catholic and Jewish, we're not, I'm not Catholic. I'm not Muslim. Catholics aren't Jewish. Muslims aren't Jewish. Many Muslims are trying to kill Jews. Like this, this weird idea that we're all the same. Maybe we're all the same in terms of we're human beings, but that doesn't mean we're all the same in terms of how we act as human beings or what we choose to believe as human beings. Here's the, the irony of all of this. You've got this picture of Michael Moore standing outside Trump Tower with a sign that says, we are all Muslim. ISIS agrees. ISIS fully agrees. We are all Muslim. You and I, me speaking, you watching, we are all Muslims. 
We just haven't realized it yet. And the only way for us to realize it is for a gun to be put to our head and the trigger to be pulled if we disagree. Or a knife to be put to our throat and it pulled across our windpipe if we disagree. Because they agree with Michael Moore. We are all Muslim. The entire world is Muslim. Let me tell you something. I am not Muslim. I'm not Muslim because I don't believe in Islam. End of story. Doesn't mean that everything Islam believes is bad. It doesn't mean that the Quran is inherently terrible. It doesn't mean any of those things. But it does mean I am not a Muslim and that there are distinctions between my philosophy and that philosophy. You know, I, I know that we've gone to this, this place where everybody wants to paraphrase JFK now during the, during the Cold War and the occupation of, of Berlin by the Soviets. Uh, the, the, East, the East Germans and the Soviets took over East Berlin and, uh, and Berlin was blockaded. And, and JFK famously went to Berlin. He said that he was a Berliner. He's also kind of sausage, as I've mentioned before. But he said he was a Berliner. And now we do this routine. Every time there's a shooting in France, we are all French. It's funny. The one I never see is we are all Jews. Right? That one I never see. I see we are all Muslims after Muslims kill a bunch of people. Right? That I see from the left. Right? After Muslims shoot 14 people in San Bernardino. And by the way, those Muslim terrorists, they were buried today full Islamic ceremony in an Islamic cemetery. So, so much for the idea that, that they're not Islamic. I can tell you this. If, if a Jew were to commit the sort of heinous act that were committed here, no rabbi would probably let them be buried in, in Jewish burial ground. Like, that's, that's an actual issue in, in Jewish law. I know it is for Christians, too. I mean, this has been a long-time thing in Christianity that if you, commit, if you commit suicide, for example, can you be buried in a Christian cemetery? Can you be buried in, in consecrated ground? Right? This is, but, but in any case, this idea, we are all Muslim, no, we aren't. And the only people who think we are are leftists who are fully insane or who are fully indoctrinated in stupidity, or Muslims who believe that we all should be Muslims and that they get to kill us if we disagree. So it's, it's this sort of leftism that leads to the rise of Donald Trump, because there are so many people who look at this and they go, no, we're not. No, we're not. And to prove that we're not, we'll just ban all the people who say they're Muslims from coming in the country. There's, there's a reactionary streak to Trump's support base that you, can't, that you can't say too much about, because it really does exist. But this is reactionary leftism, and reactionary leftism is much more dangerous than, than the reactionary silliness of Donald Trump. I mean, this, this reactionary leftism of the left, which is Muslims go and kill people, therefore we're all Muslim. And we, we've seen this over and over. I mean, you want the ironic story of the day? So remember a few weeks ago, we talked about this story from Great Britain. This story from Great Britain was kind of amazing, where there was a Muslim guy, presumably, who tried to stab a bunch of people in the subway. We talked about this last week, right? It was after San Bernardino. And, uh, and there was a guy who was walking by, and he was shouting, you ain't no Muslim, bruv, right, he, with the British accent. And this went viral, and it was a hashtag and all this. Turns out the guy had to go into hiding because he was being threatened by, wait for it, the Buddhists. No, it was he was being threatened by the Muslims. Yeah, so, so the guy who says, you ain't no Muslim, bruv. there are a bunch of Muslims. Say, wait a second. Yeah, we are, <laughs> and we will kill you for saying that. So all of this, all of this politically correct nonsense, the, the kind of stuff that Michael Moore is pushing, it's going to get a lot of people killed. A lot more people will die because there are people who believe we are all Muslims. These are the sort of people who, when a, a mass shooter steps into a building with a gun, think that they can have a conversation. Right? If we just have a conversation about Islam versus the West, then maybe all of this will stop. It's, it's just the height of foolishness. Now, I do want to get to sort of the fallout from the debate that happened a couple of days ago. Uh, it seems that the polls are showing a lot of people thought, like I thought that Trump won the debate, a lot of people thought that Ted Cruz won the debate. The latest tracking poll shows Trump holding steady, as I predicted, and Cruz rising a little bit, as I predicted, and Rubio basically being where Rubio is, which I also predicted. So not that I'm always right, but basically I'm always right. Um, but the, the reason that the, the debate will have some fallout 
is because of the debate between Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz. So if you remember back during the debate, there was a, a pretty lengthy exchange between Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz on immigration, and here's what it sounded like. In 2013, we had never faced a crisis like the Syrian refugee crisis now. Up until that point, a refugee made someone fleeing oppression, fleeing communism, like it is in my community. As far as Ted's record, I'm always puzzled by his attack on this issue. Ted, you support legalizing people who are in this country illegally. Ted Cruz supported a 500% increase in the number of H-1B visas, the guest workers that are allowed into this country, and Ted supports doubling the number of green cards. So I think what's important for us to understand is there is a way forward on this issue that we can bring our country together on. And when I'm president, I will do it. And it will begin by bringing illegal immigration under control and proving it to the American people. Dana. Senator Cruz. So, so here's the thing. What Rubio is saying here, so, so Cruz says this isn't true. I've never been in favor of legalization. Well, it's kind of awkward because if you go back to 2013, here's what Ted Cruz was saying about legalization back in 2013, right? And in 2013, Ted Cruz, it's actually clip three. Uh, if, if you go back to 2013, Ted Cruz was talking about legalization. And, uh, and he said at the time that he was in favor of legalization but not citizenship. There is a difference, right? You can have a green card but not vote. He said he was in favor of legalization but not green card status. His defense now is that he wasn't even in favor of legalization. He was just saying that to try and kill the full amnesty bill. It's not super credible, and Brett Baer questioned him on it last night, and here is Brett Baer going after Ted Cruz on this. I don't want immigration oh, actually, sorry, that is reform the, yeah. to fail. I, I want immigration reform to pass. And so I would urge people of good faith on both sides of the aisle, if the objective is to pass common sense immigration reform that secures the borders, that improves legal immigration, and that allows those who are here illegally to come in out of the shadows, then we should look for areas of bipartisan agreement and compromise to come together. Okay, so there he is saying exactly what you know, he said he didn't say in the debate. He said, I have never backed legalization. No, he did. And, and I, I want to point something out. You know, Donald Trump has taken the hardest line position on immigration. He said, we're deporting all 11 million people. Uh, I don't think Donald Trump would actually deport all 11 million people because I don't think any of these people would actually deport all 11 million people. In fact, I'm not sure why you would want to do that, considering that, that Trump says specifically he will then bring half of them back. So it, it, we could save ourselves a plane ticket just by actually screening the people who are going to deport. And when I say screening them, I'm not talking about just criminal screening. I'm talking about have you taken any welfare benefit at all over the time that you've been here? If the answer is yes, you're out. If you're somebody who is, is not paying taxes and you're taking more out of the system than you, you are capable of providing to the system, you're gone. I've always thought that this, this whole idea that we treat all 11 million people exactly the same is silly. I'm not going to – we don't treat – why would we treat the person who is a low-income person who's on welfare the same as the person who came here illegally – and now has made their way through university. Like, why, why would you treat those two the same? We should be able to sort of pick and choose who we want. After all, that's what we do when people come in legally. Why shouldn't we be able to do the same when people come illegally? That's been my own position on immigration for a very long time. But Cruz is afraid of being outflanked by Trump, and so he's kind of boxed himself into a corner. By saying that he was always anti-legalization, and he is super conservative and super consistent, he's put himself in a box that he can't quite escape. Now, the problem is that Rubio and Cruz are really doing damage to each other here, and the person who continues to just sail along, happy as a clam, is Donald Trump. And I said, this is what was happening during the debate. If you watched the debate, that's what it was. It was Rubio and Cruz going after each other, and Rand Paul and, and Rubio going after each other, and, and Trump a little bit going after Rubio. And it was basically Rubio and Cruz battling it out most of the night, 
And I've looked at what they, they had to say, and both of them at times told fibs, and both of them at times were saying things that were true. But it doesn't matter, because the overall impression you get is that these two are battling with each other, and here's Trump over in the corner just doing what Trump does, being funny and charming and, and smacking out at Jeb Bush. And I want to talk briefly about the charm of Donald Trump. I was listening to, to Drew, to, to Clavin's show uh, the other day, and, and Clavin was comparing Trump to the Sopranos, and I think that that's exactly right. I think that, that the, the appeal of Donald Trump is the toxic masculinity of Donald Trump, as Jeremy Boring, our managing editor, likes to put it. The, the sort of the, the fat lion of him, right? The fact is that people are drawn to masculinity. They are drawn to the, the kind of brutish, the kind of brutish alpha of Trump. And when you look at Marco Rubio, this is actually a problem for Rubio. When you look at Rubio, everybody gets a sense of a person just by looking at them. So this is, so, and, and this is true for everybody. Everybody assesses everybody else based on a split-second calculation. When you look at Marco Rubio, there is an unsureness to him that is a little bit unsettling. Not because I don't think he knows what he's talking about. I do. I think Rubio's a very smart guy. But he, like Mitt Romney, you look at them, and there's a little bit of fear behind the eyes. With Trump, there's no fear behind the eyes. I'm not sure there's anything behind the eyes with Trump. I mean, he's, he's got, it's like a shark. It's lifeless eyes. You know, it's so, yeah, doll's eyes. Um, but, but because of that, Trump has an appeal to him, and you can see it in his, in his interviews with people on the other side. So Trump was with Chris Matthews right after the debate, and here is Trump basically just brushing off Chris Matthews as Chris Matthews goes after him. I don't answer because you know what? If I do answer it, that's all people want to talk about. You're going to so have I to answer, answer it in a general election. You're going to have to answer it in a general election. Uh, well, you're going to take the Oprah office? Then I'll answer The president leaving the office is illegitimate? But I don't answer that question because once I answer the question, they don't want to talk about the economy. They no, don't want to talk over. about all the other You'd have, you, you know, you, like, we Catholics believe in confession. You, you say you were wrong and you move on. Okay, you well, really believe this guy's an illegitimate president? I don't want to answer the question. See, look at look at the good humor if I don't Did want to answer. Did you have a good time? Was it a good interview? <laughs> what this? Yeah. <laughs> well, I want you for a longer time, but thank you, uh, Mr. Trump. We'll do it again. Mr. I would Trump, love to. Mr. I, Trump, uh, I do think that's a, a blemish. On, I think it's your original. No, I know set. how you feel. I, I think I'm feel. an American. I, I think our president should be respected. I understand. And I, I think there's a little ethnic aspect to it. I don't like it. Okay, well, he's African American, and we're saying he's not a real president. I don't like that. It's not a good thing about you. All right. Well, but, we'll but just, you're a mixed bag. We'll just keep quiet. I am allowed it. to say you're a mixed bag. I understand. Thank have you. A good Thank time. you Thank for coming you over much. here. Thank you. <laughs> Thank so you. The, I mean, if you, we'll have you for an hour. It's so funny, folks. If you, you should subscribe to the podcast so you can see the clips that we're showing because how this sounds and how it plays on TV are two different things. How it sounds is like Matthew's kind of smacking Trump around a little bit. How it plays on TV is Trump just brushing him off, right? It's, it's Matthew saying stuff and Trump just smiling away right through it and, and, patting, and patting Matthew's on the hand. And, and Matthew's actually looking kind of solicitous, and Trump just brushing him off. It's that that draws people to Trump. The same thing happened with Jimmy Kimmel. Jimmy Kimmel tried to come at Trump also. This happened last night on, on one of the late shows. And, and here is Kimmel. What, was Kimmel on ABC? I think Kimmel's on ABC. So Kimmel, Kimmel's on ABC, and Kimmel is, uh, is going after Trump on his Muslim immigration ban. And, and here is how that exchange goes. Did anyone try to talk you out of saying we should temporarily ban Muslims from entering the United States? Well, the word is temporarily, and I have many, many friends who are Muslim, and they're great people, and they actually, some of them, not all of them, I will tell you, some of them aren't so thrilled with what I said, but many of them called me and they said, you know, Donald, you're right, we have a problem. I mean, look, there is a problem. But isn't it un-American and wrong to discriminate against people based on their religion? Yeah, but, Jimmy, the problem... I, I mean, I'm for it, but look... We have people coming into our country that are looking to do tremendous harm. You look at the two, look at Paris, look at what happened in Paris. I mean, these people, they did not come from Sweden, okay? 
Look at what happened in Paris. Look at what happened last week in California with, with you know, 14 people dead, other people going to die. They're so badly injured. I mean, we have a real problem. And again, Trump is unapologetic here. And you see Kimmel try to go after him. And Trump just blows right through it. Right? He, doesn't, he doesn't bother trying to defend himself. He just goes right through it. He says, look, we have danger, and I'm going to handle the danger. You can disagree with it. I, again, I disagree with him. But this is actually, he's great on TV. He's great on TV. He's a professional TV guy. And what's amazing is that he's being able to use that. And again, this is not an endorsement of Trump as a candidate. I'm not voting for him in a primary. But you have to recognize the qualities that make him popular so that you can imitate them or so that you can fight them, depending on what your perspective is. And speaking of fighting them, it's coming to the point where we could get a breakdown in the Republican Party any way this goes. It, it, it really is coming to that. So, for example, you know, Glenn Beck, who I really like, he, he was on Megyn Kelly's show, and, and Glenn was asked about, he was asked about Hillary or Trump, and here's what Glenn Beck had to say. Um, I, I know that I won't go to the polls. I won't vote for Hillary Clinton, and I won't vote for Donald Trump. I just won't. And I know a lot of people that feel that way. I know there's a lot of people in the GOP who are like, look, he's better than um, Hillary Clinton. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, the guy last night, he, he, he didn't even know what... Okay. Oh, what are, um, you know, the, the, the missile silos and the um, strategic air command with the missiles on the planes and our nuclear submarines? He didn't even know what that meant. Uh, he couldn't even answer that question. It was bizarre. Um, he's also a giant progressive. So I, I can't vote for a progressive. I can't vote for Hillary and I can't vote for him. I, I said mm, probably a year and a half ago that I thought we were entering the times of the Whig Party, that the Republicans were going to go to the way of the Whigs, who they demolished mm -hmm. back in Abraham Lincoln's time. Um, and I think that's happening. They have not, they, they got. They said, we just have to have the House and the Senate. We got it. Now they're saying, well, we have to have the House and the Senate and the White House. Mm -hmm. Well, wait a minute. We heard that before with George W. Bush. They're not listening. They're not doing what the people have hired them to do. If they put Donald Trump in, uh, try to put him in, in office, if that's what the people want, um, you're going to see an end to the Republican Party. It will just be over. So what's interesting is that you're actually hearing Beck argue both sides here. So I agree with him. We are at the end of the Republican Party. It's either going to happen now or it's going to happen in four years or eight years because there is no great unifying factor anymore. You hear Beck saying, I'm going to stay home if Trump is the nominee. There are a lot of people who are going to stay home if Trump isn't the nominee. There are a lot of people who are going to say, if this is somebody like Marco Rubio, who's endorsed by the establishment, no way I go to the polls. And one of the reasons they're going to say that is because as the debate was happening, while it was happening, in real time, Paul Ryan announced in the middle of the debate that he was pushing forward a $1.6 or $1.1 trillion package, $1.1 trillion appropriations bill. And this appropriations bill fully funds President Obama's executive amnesty. It fully funds Obamacare. It fully funds Planned Parenthood. It doesn't fund the building of a border security wall. It doesn't change any, any of the laws with regard to how we screen Syrian or Iraqi refugees. It gives President Obama everything he wants. And it was announced in the middle of the Republican debate by the Republican Speaker of the House. And the Republican Speaker of the House then announced that he would push through the bill with majority Democrat support. Meaning that he's proposing a bill a majority of Republicans won't even vote for, but Democrats will. Remember, Paul Ryan was the VP pick four years ago. Remember, Paul Ryan is an establishment favorite. And remember, those same people who love Paul Ryan love Marco Rubio. So what you've, what you've got on the one hand now this is why I think that the only way to save the party right now is for the establishment to get behind Cruz. 
On the one hand, you've got the people in the establishment who are saying, we won't show up if Donald Trump is the nominee. Jeb Bush said he may not back Donald Trump if Donald Trump is the nominee, which is amazing because, as you recall, there was a huge deal made. Would Trump endorse whoever the Republican nominee was if it wasn't him? And he said yes. And so now, for some reason, it's okay for Jeb to say no. And it's okay for, for various other candidates. John Kasich has said this too. It's okay for him to say no. But if Trump had said no, it would have been the end of the world. So here's the deal. The establishment says they won't show up for Trump. The Trump people say they won't show up for the establishment. The only person who can bridge the gap, maybe, is Ted Cruz. And Ted Cruz is hated so much by the establishment that they're attempting to undermine him with Rubio. So this, this all looks very bad. It's all going the wrong direction in terms of the chaos inside the Republican Party. And meanwhile, there's Hillary Clinton just over there running her race. And by the way, she's not popular. Nobody likes Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton's a disaster area to watch. She's bad on TV. She's corrupt as all hell. She's not entertaining. She's boring. She's annoying. There's so many bad things about Hillary Clinton that the Republicans can't get their act together because they don't know what they believe and how they want to fight. They don't. Republicans just think, okay, if we put Rubio in there, the establishment, if we get Rubio in there and he wins, then we'll be fine. And people on the, and people on the other side, they say, well, yeah, but Rubio's the guy who po he proposed amnesty. I mean, it truly is amazing. You have to understand this about the resistance to the establishment in the Republican Party. And let me define establishment for a moment. Establishment are the people on the coast with the money. Okay, that's who the establishment is. The establishment are professional politicians who are running the RNC right now. But mostly, when people say establishment, they mean the people on the coasts with the money. That's who we're talking about. We're talking about the Koch brothers, who are establishment guys. They're libertarian, and they're soft on social policy. And again, establishment is not a slur. It's just a description of a, of a certain set of values that lead to a certain set of candidates. You've got people on the coast, like the Koch brothers. You've got people like Sheldon Adelson, who is an establishment guy who doesn't believe in social policy, policies at all, and who sort of – all these people have sort of the same perspective on religious people in the middle of the country, which is sort of – who are these guys? Why are we supposed to care about them? Uh, and the same thing is true of, of donors in New York and Los Angeles. There's a real separation between the money and the grassroots in the Republican Party, and that has some pretty dire ramifications because as we move forward and the money separates from the grassroots, that's an unworkable party, and that's what's happening. And the reason Trump is filling that gap is because he doesn't need the money, and he's perfectly happy just catering directly to the grassroots. Now, the left is saying that, that of course— by, by the way, speaking of people who, who won't endorse— who won't endorse Trump, Jeb Bush did an interview right after the debate in which he, in which he went after Donald Trump. And Jeb is, Jeb is, I think, a good voice for what the establishment is. The establishment wing is, is sort of Bush in their orientation. Big government, not too hawkish on, on foreign policy, somewhat hawkish, but not too hawkish on foreign policy. Uh, George H.W. Bush is sort of where they're at. Here is, here is Jeb Bush talking about Donald Trump. And in the case of Donald Trump, he's a bully. Look, I mean, you guys interview him all the time. I mean, he he uh, he has his way, and to push up, you know, post up against him a little bit and push back, you get a sense of, um, you know, he's not not quite all in command. And uh, and and as he says that, and as he continues to undermine the candidacy of Donald Trump, you have to remember what what is the end goal here? What's the end game? And the end game is, I mean, right now there are only three candidates who could win, and two of those candidates definitely splinter the party. So it's it's it's. You know, I, I don't. I don't mean to be the bearer of bad tidings here, but but this is this is a problem with having a party that has not had any unifying force for years and years and years. And the reason they have no unifying force is that unifying force exists in opposition. People always suggest that unifying forces come together around someone. We need just all we need is a transformational figure. No, the transformational figure takes advantage of the burgeoning unity. 
right? Hitler was a transformational figure in Germany, not because people just rallied around Hitler, but because people were rallying around Hitler's anti-Jew, anti-capitalist, anti-communist agenda, right? That was his agenda, and people rallied around it, his anti-establishment agenda, actually, in Germany, his anti-Weimar Republic agenda. People rallied around it, and he was just the focal point of that. And Obama did the same thing, right? People were reacting to Bush, and then Obama came and said, let's unify around me in opposition to Bush and in opposition to the Republicans. The Republicans don't understand the only person who's even trying to do this really is Trump, and he, that's why he's the only person who is succeeding. Okay, so it's time for some things that I hate. First, something that I like. Um, if you've never read the, the book, have, have, has anyone in the room ever read the book Day of the Jackal? They made a movie, a really terrible movie with Bruce Willis where they attempted to do this, and it was just an awful film. Um, there, there's a not bad film with Edward Fox, The Day of the Jackal from the 70s, but The Day of the Jackal is the best thriller ever written. If you're into kind of action thrillers, it is brilliant, it is clever, it's not kind of by the numbers, it's not the same hero appearing in every book, it's not Tom Clancy, it's a one-off, and it is a fantastic book. Day of the Jackal, you should go and pick it up by Frederick Forsyth. Terrific, terrific book. Okay, things that I hate. So, in my little debate with Patton Oswalt yesterday, which apparently, it always takes two days for these things to go viral on the internet, so now it's starting to go viral, and of course you've got the left-wing website saying that he was clearly the winner because he's Patton Oswalt, and you've got the right-wing website saying that I was clearly the winner because I'm me, and so... You know, I, I, I obviously think I was the winner because I think Patton Oswalt is not that smart of a guy, to be frank with you. I think that he is a knee-jerk leftist who doesn't know very much about politics. I think that he's a comedian who, who is, you know, he thinks he's very well-informed because he's an atheist, and so he has the arrogance that many atheists have to them, which is, I must be brilliant because I don't believe in God. And so he thinks that he knows politics. He doesn't. He, he backs Bernie Sanders, even though, according to the, the interwebs, as I said yesterday, he's worth $14 million. I thought the most, I have to say, the, the lack of self-awareness on the part of so many folks on the left truly is astonishing. I mean, really, really astonishing. And as an example, I will give you this, this tweet. I'm trying to find it here. Here it is. So I missed this one yesterday in our exchange because what happened is that we were tweeting and then I got in the car. By the time I got out of the car, he was tweeting me, why haven't you responded to me in the last half hour? Because I was in the car, you douchebag. But in any case, he, he tweeted at me that I, I had tweeted at him. How much money do you have? You know, what is your wealth? You're a socialist. What is your, you whine about income inequality all day long. What is your wealth and how much of it do you give to charity? And he writes back to me, that would be 40% of go F yourself, you sniveling creep, question mark. And I tweeted back to him, funny, that's exactly what I say to socialists like you, right? Because what I say is what business is of, of it of yours, how much money I make or how much money goes to the government or how much, what I do with my money. That's my business. That's it. You, you, don't get to, you don't get to be a capitalist when it comes to your own money, but you get to be a socialist when it comes to everybody else's. That is one thing that I hate. But one of the other things that came up in this exchange was Patton Oswalt suggesting that science magically turns men into women and women into men, which was always amusing. I like hearing undereducated comedians talk about how science makes chromosomes magically change because people think subjectively that, they're, that they are of, of the other sex. So I thought that we should play some video of, I think, a transgender icon. And I'm not talking about some of the people who get heavily made up to go on TV. I'm not talking about uh, that, that man who thinks he's a woman who's on Orange is the New Black, and I can never remember this person's name, Laverne Cox. Uh, the, Laverne Cox. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about Eddie Redmayne and the Danish Girl with all the lighting and all of the makeup to make him look as much like a woman as humanly possible. I'm not going to talk about that. I want to talk about this charming, charming six-year-old girl. And do we have a video of the six-year-old girl? Let's bring up a video of the six-year-old girl. said stop being trans or leave. So that, to me, stopping trans isn't something I could do. 
it'd be like telling me to stop being, you know, six foot two and or leave. And I was who I was. I was trans before we married. I was a trans parent for 23 years. It floored me, it scared me, because I didn't know how to not be trans. Stephanie Walsh, welcome to Daily Extra. You are one of the people profiled in the Transgender Project web series, and as well the TV show, Am I a Boy or Girl? Why did you decide to go so public with your story? Um, I paid a pretty heavy price for transitioning, and so at a certain point, I thought, I've already lost everything hey, pause it right there. happened. So, okay, first of all, I just want to point out the spelling here. So it's not just enough that you... <laughs> it's Stephanie Walsh, right? Here's how that is spelled for, for people who can't see the video of this. And if you can't see the video, you're missing half of the fun because Stephanie Walsh is a 52-year-old fat dude who's wearing a wig and a dress and is, and is delusional. Stephanie is spelled S-T-E-F-O-N-K-N-E-E. -E. Stefan Nee. Right, so it's not just enough. So I, I guess the the perversion of, of sex is not enough. The perversion of spelling has to be added. So here's the part about Stephanie Walsh, right? That that really is astonishing. So it's not just that Stephanie Walsh thinks that Stephanie Walsh is a woman, okay? And he is, and he he this guy, by the way, he's deeply immoral. He left his family, right? He left his kids so that he could go live this lifestyle. The lifestyle that he is living is not the the the, the lifestyle that he is living is not of just a woman. It's of a six-year-old girl. It's of a six-year-old girl. And I think he talks about it here, how he actually, deep down inside, he's not a 52-year-old woman. <laughs> he's a six-year-old girl in his head. And none of us can judge, right? That's it. And according to Patton Oswalt and company, science says that the man that you're looking at, the 52-year-old man that you're looking at, according to Patton Oswalt and Reza Aslan, who jumped in also, you know, I didn't know who Reza Aslan really was, to tell you the truth. I thought he was just the king of Narnia, but it turns out that he's a commentator. But in any case, they all say that science dictates that Stefan Knie Walsh is, in fact, a six-year-old girl, not a 52-year-old man. We'll listen to Stefan Knie Walsh talk about his six-year-old girlness. I'm going to be me, and I'm going to show other people that it's okay to be feminine for a guy. And so by coming completely out of the closet, it just liberated me to the point where, let's do this, let's talk about it, and let people know that this is okay. 2007, when I actually stepped forward and started getting myself educated as to who I was and what this was, uh, I was pretty naive. But that naivete would quickly come to a crashing halt. At age 46, after 23 years of marriage and seven kids, Stephanie realized she wasn't a crossdresser. She was transgender a person whose gender is different than the sex they were assigned at birth. I'm genderqueer, I'm queer, I'm queer. So having said that, what have you heard from people? Um, a lot of feedback. There's a lot of positive feedback. Uh, there's a lot more people that are trans. Like a lot of people come out to me. Um, I get guys that you wouldn't think that are want to wear like cops and bikers and um, can I wear a dress so it gets very playful because you look at people and you think you understand what they're all about 
you know, when you see a guy that's 300 pounds with a goatee who pulls in in a Harley and uh, is going through my closet and saying, can I wear this dress? Can I wear that dress? You know, or can I kiss you when I'm wearing the dress? You don't expect it. That's right. Stephanie has moved on, believing okay. that she will never be. So enough of this, but the, the uncut version of this, okay, this is the cut version, the uncut version of this interview, quote, it's called play therapy. No medication, no suicide thoughts. I just get to play. Even in jail where he spent nine days in solitary confinement, this is according to the independents, they say she spent nine days in solitary confinement, but does not explain what for. She played. She made the cell a kingdom and sang songs there and would not be an adult. So, so she said they could not hurt her, saying, if I'm six years old, I don't have to think about adult stuff. This is a six-year-old girl you're looking at here. A six-year-old girl that you're looking at. As she was never allowed to be a girl, she feels she is filling that tank full of little girl experiences and loves the fact that she has access to really pretty clothes and doesn't have to act her age. By not acting my age, I don't have to deal with the reality of my past because it hurt. Okay, first of all, th again, this person has, what was it, seven children? Seven, but, but I was not aware that biological females can impregnate another woman to the tune of seven children. But beyond that, do you look at this person and think this person is totally mentally stable? The reason I put this in the things that I hate segment is not because I hate Stephanie Walsh. I don't care about Stephanie Walsh particularly much. In fact, I feel kind of terrible for this person because I feel terrible for mentally ill people. Mentally ill people need to be taken care of, and they should not be humored. What I hate is a society that pretends that science suggests that what you're looking at on your screen is a six-year-old girl. It's absurd. It's absurd. Don't ask all of society to lie and to, in fact, get rid of the basic differences between man and woman on behalf of people who are mentally ill. It doesn't help them, and it doesn't help society. And Patton Oswalt and all these other idiots who are out there talking about science transforming men into women, it just, it, it's degrading to men, it's degrading to women, and it's degrading to mentally ill people. Because the truth is that if, if, if our job is now to humor every fantasy and delusion of the mentally ill, this society is going to go downhill in quite a hurry. And it seems like it already is. Well, on that happy note, you have a wonderful weekend. And uh, we will be back next week with, I'm sure, much more news. Plus, we'll talk more about the Christmas holiday. And Hanukkah's over, so I can say it to you now, as a Jew, Merry Christmas, everybody. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values, and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick-charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.